there! Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three born-again Hayden Christensen fans with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I would die even if I had the high ground. I'm Keith Baker, and I think Roken is a mechanic who doesn't actually do anything. And I'm Austin Terry, and there was absolutely no reason for Hayden Christensen to be cast in this show. How How dare you? you? On today's show, we'll be talking about the entirety of Obi-Wan Kenobi over on Disney+. Plus. But before we discuss the return of Obi-Wan, guys, how would you cope with the daily struggle of being Darth Vader? Yeah, I have a lot of concerns about the diet of Darth Vader. It looks like it is a strictly liquid diet because I don't think he can take his mask off. And um, I think that may be why he is so grumpy because there's no solid foods. It's always liquid diet that he eats in the back of the tank and doesn't even remember when he ate. That's a good point, Austin. I think I would just stay in that back to tank all the time. I mean, why would you want to do anything after getting almost burnt alive? I would just uh, just stay in there all the time and just meditate. And Would you think about how angry the sight of Obi-Wan makes you? No, I don't think so. <laughs> hmm. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's very understandable why he just chokes everybody that he walks by in these movies. I think he's just so tired, hungry. Sad that his skin hurts. <laughs> his skin is pruny from being in the tank all the time. Yeah. His skin is like charred beyond recognition, but now it's also pruny because he just has to either be in a full body costume or sit in water all day. Do you think they offered him plastic surgery and he just turned it down? You think they offered him a better script and he turned that down too? It's possible. Coming out hating. <laughs> I'm excited to get into this. Well, it's been an interesting few years for both Star Wars and Disney Plus in general. When Disney bought Star Wars back in 2012, there was renewed excitement about the upcoming sequel trilogy and side projects that would come out of it as well. Fast forward to now, the sequel trilogy is considered by many to be, uh, I think it's safe to say a failure, with seven being too familiar, eight being too different, and nine being a mess that couldn't end it in a satisfying way. On the side, we got the much-respected Rogue One, but after the box office failure of Solo, they abandoned the idea of doing any more of those types of projects. Now, the feature side is in flux with supposedly Taika Waititi has a project that will be outside of the Skywalker saga, and that's next, but I don't know, we'll see. Uh, Disney Plus, on the other hand, has seen some ups and downs as well. I think it's fair to say that live-action Star Wars lately has been very mixed, possibly with more negative entries than positive. The only major like positives I ever hear about seem to be the animated shows like Clone Wars, Rebels, and The Bad Batch. It's crazy to think about, but we've actually known about the Obi-Wan show since mid-2019, before Disney Plus even existed. So I think there was many people who signed up originally because they knew this big show, this long-awaited thing, was on the horizon. And I think it's fair to say that many, myself included, uh, this had to be one of the most anticipated shows of 2022. Uh, Interestingly, I was reading that we were supposed to get this last year, but the show went through a major rewrite a while back. But all that said, the idea was certainly appealing. Like, do any of us really care or want to know what Obi-Wan was up to between episodes three and four? Probably not. But I think the idea of Ewan McGregor returning to the role after 17 years was certainly good enough for me since he is one of the shining beacons of the prequels. How has he been coping with the aftermath of Order 66 and Anakin's fall? What mission would eventually have to pull him away from Luke on Tatooine? What events would cause him to accept what happened and become the more wise Zen master version of Ben Kenobi that we know and see in A New Hope? All fair questions that the show would have to tackle. So without further ado, no more waiting. Like I said, it's already been 17 years. So how about you guys let the listeners know about your excitement levels going into this? And then, of course, Austin and Keith, give me your non-spoiler thoughts on Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
Yeah, going into this, I, I think I was in the same boat as you, Matt, that this was one of my most anticipated shows of 2022. Uh, I couldn't wait to get some of my questions about like the rise of the Empire in between A New Hope and Revenge of the Sith and, and what Obi-Wan is up to. I was excited to learn all that info. And uh, going into just the show now, um, I think it sucked, just straight up. I think this is one of the worst things to come out this year. It very quickly became the most boring hour of my week. Um, I don't think I learned anything new about Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't think Star Wars told me a new story. I think they did the same thing they've done for the past 18 projects they've always they've been putting out now. I was super disappointed in what we got from Darth Vader. I was very disappointed in what the mission for Obi-Wan Kenobi was. Like I was just shocked that this was the story they decided to tell. I think there's one good episode, which would be episode five, but then I think the remaining five episodes, I'll just largely view as um, an extreme disappointment, a very boring and very forgettable for me as well. Oh my God. I don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> I'm just excited to see what your what your thoughts are like when we really uh, dive deep into it. I think for me, this in no way was is this show perfect. I think there's definitely a lot of missing pieces to it, some plot holes for sure, a lot of random things thrown in there that I think they should they could have just left out. Really cool to see you McGregor back. I think the story flowed pretty well for me. I think there's definitely some slow parts. Um, but overall, really enjoyed it. Loved all the new the new characters we saw. Loved all the old characters returning. I think we definitely got, without spoiling anything really, we definitely got some cool Star Wars callbacks. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. I guess I'm in the middle. I'm 50-50 on the show. Um, without spoiling anything, I would say episodes one, two, and four. Oh my god, episode four. Those were misses to me, um, and misses in ways I didn't expect. I guess I was kind of closer with Austin on those. I was like, why am I bored? Shouldn't I be more excited for this show? Like, this seems like this should be more thrilling. Um, and then, on the other hand, I really, really liked episodes three, five, like Austin said. And I actually got to say, I wasn't expecting to, especially after the Hive episode five, but I did come away from the finale pretty satisfied. So, there you go. Six episodes, three of them I liked, three of them I ranged from I thought they were not very good to episode four, which I thought was like one of the biggest waste of time I've ever had. <laughs> Seems like the same track record for the original trilogy and the prequels. <laughs> That's actually a very good point. I, I definitely did not anticipate that going in to have that batting average uh, come back to haunt me. But yeah, I think overall, there's going to be a lot of things in this conversation that I lean more towards Austin, primarily with the story they chose isn't bad. But I didn't like the flow of it, kind of like he said that he did kind of appreciate the pacing and flow. It didn't really work for me. And I don't know how they could have solved that. Part of me feels like the issue with this show is the issue they've been running into with some of the Marvel shows is they have a mandate over at Disney, I guess, that these things have to be six episodes. And I know Austin <laughs> says that it was really boring, so maybe more wouldn't be his solution. But it just felt so rushed to me that. I don't know, maybe an extra episode or two, or maybe just make the episode slightly longer would have fleshed it out. Like, we don't get to really sit with Obi-Wan a lot of this show. Like, I don't really often know how he's feeling about the things that he's witnessing because we just have to go to the next thing, uh, which is kind of disappointing. Um, but then on the other hand with Keith, I think there are a lot of moments that really did kind of bring out that, you know, nostalgia for me when it comes to Star Wars. It was great seeing Ewan McGregor back. I thought he gave a great performance. Um, I liked seeing a lot of what he did. It's just like, I wish we could have gotten more in-depth of the character. And kind of on the Empire side, like Austin alluded to, I was hoping for a little more with that, like kind of why they're at this point, how they got there. It seemed like this could have been a good bridge for that. Uh, didn't really get too much of that. 
overall, I guess the best thing I can say is, while it was kind of a lackluster show with ups and downs for me, the finale did hit enough that I did come away with like, you know, a satisfying taste in my mouth. So I'm curious to get more in depth with it. Um, But yeah, not the home run I was looking for with this one, unfortunately. Yeah, you made a good point about not really knowing how Obi-Wan feels throughout this show and stuff like that. And and honestly, I don't know why the show is called Obi-Wan Kenobi because yeah. I don't think it, it's really centered around him. It probably should have been called like Leia Organa Origins or something like that because it's it's really more focused on Leia. It, it's really a Leia show, which was not something I wanted from an Obi-Wan show. I wanted to see, kind of like you said in the intro, how is Obi-Wan feeling after Order, Order 66? What does he do to become the, the Ben Solo we see in A New Hope? I was hoping to see what his like early involvements were in the Resistance and stuff, because he does point Luke on that path whenever we get to A New Hope. And, and none, of that, none of the stuff that I wanted to get from the show is what we got um, with the show that they put out in 2022. Yeah, I can definitely agree with all that. I didn't. It didn't. I didn't mind that Leia was in this, but she stayed way too long. I think it definitely sparked for me, at least, and I think for you guys as well, some continuity issues going into the new A New Hope. I totally agree with both you guys that I think we definitely could have got more, like you said, Order sixty six, like aftermath, whether it's flashbacks or even in this time that we're seeing him now, but like. What's the backstory? What's been going on in the past ten years? We really don't get a lot of a lot of what's happened and what he's been doing. It seems like to me he's just been he's just been in a cave the whole time. Yeah, that's kind of the disappointing implication. It just kind of seems like, yeah, the last ten years he's just been really sad. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of just what the show tells us. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, when the show ends, now the interesting stuff will happen. It's like ah, that's never what you want from a show. You know, you want like what we're actually watching to be the interesting thing, uh, not like when it ends, be like, oh wait. What, what you're setting up, that sounds good. <laughs> like, that's not what we want. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you guys have anything else you want to say before we move to spoilers? I think we're kind of teetering on that line. So I don't want to spoil anything if anybody hasn't watched the show completely yet. I have a lot more I want to say, but uh, <laughs> let's get into spoilers. <laughs> well, there you go. Let's do it. If you have not finished or started Obi-Wan Kenobi over on Disney+, Plus, we are about to get into full spoilers. We're not going to hold back. We clearly have a lot of opinions. I'm excited to talk about mine. I'm excited to hear Austin and Keith's. So go check it out and then come on back. We'll be waiting for you. Or you know what? Actually, I say that all the time. I say that little ditty before spoilers. If you don't care about spoilers or maybe you're like Austin and you didn't want to watch Obi-Wan, just stick around. Who cares? We're just going to talk about it. Enjoy our conversation. Alrighty, guys, welcome to Spoiler Territory. I'm sure it's pretty self-explanatory by now, but just for the sake of doing this how we always do, here's your quick little premise just to catch you up on what's been going on. So 10 years after the events of Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, in which the Jedi were destroyed by Order 66 and Obi-Wan Kenobi's apprentice Anakin Skywalker became the Sith Lord Darth Vader, Kenobi is in hiding on the planet Tatooine watching over Anakin's son Luke when he is called on a mission to rescue Anakin's daughter Leia after she is kidnapped by the Galactic Empire's Jedi hunting inquisitors in a plot to draw Kenobi out. As we all expected, this leads to a confrontation between and the reunion of Kenobi and Vader. All right, so all episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi are directed by Deborah Chow, who is most well known for Mr. Robot. Um, She also worked on the first season of The Mandalorian, which then brought her to the Obi-Wan show. Our screenplay is by Joby Harold, who is most well known for the hit Zack Snyder project, Army of the Dead. I think it was voted like fan favorite at the Oscars or something like that. And our score is composed by Natalie Holt, who you may know from Paddington and Loki, along with Star Wars iconic composer John Williams composing the theme song for the show. 
and of course, based on Star Wars by George Lucas. All right, and going through our cast, we have Ewan McGregor returning as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Moses Ingram as Reva, a.k.a. Third Sister, Vivian Lyra Blair as Leia Organa, Indira Varma as Tala, Sung Kang as Fifth Brother, Rupert Friend as the Grand Inquisitor, Joel Edgerton returning as Uncle Owen, Bonnie Peace returning as Aunt Beru, Kamel Nunjani as Haja, O'Shea Jackson Jr. as Roken, Grant Freely as Luke Skywalker, and we got Jimmy Smits returning as Bail Organa, and Hayden Christensen returning as Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. Christensen is in the suit as Vader, with James Earl Jones' voice taken through the use of AI in order to recreate a younger-sounding voice for Vader, similar to Mark Hamill in The Book of Boba Fett. And we got a Nice to See You award, Anthony Daniels briefly as C-3PO, Tamara Morrison as a homeless veteran clone trooper, making the first time he has played a clone besides Boba in live action. And we got Ian McDermott as Emperor Palpatine and Liam Neeson as Quaigon Jinn. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives, what do we got? Yeah, I have a quick negative to Natalie Holt for not including Duel of the Fates in the final battle between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. What were they thinking there? And then my broader negative is to Joby Harold, the screenplay writer. Um, if this is the best story you can do, please never come back for a Star Wars project because I never want to see <laughs> anything like this again. I'll just start by saying, I guess a positive for Yuma McGregor. And while we all have our problems with the story, I, I still think he, he played Obi-Wan great. It's a good performance. Definitely some emotional moments in a few episodes um, where you can really really see the pain behind his eyes. And then I'll also shout out uh, Vivian Lara Blair. While we got too much of that character, I do think that as a child actress, she did a really good job as playing a young Leia. And then I'll, I'll shout a negative too. Negative to the character of Reva, not Moses Ingram. I think Moses Ingram put on a really good performance and actually liked a lot of, part, a lot, a lot of uh, moments with her character. But I think it definitely had the character itself of Reva had its problems. But I want I want to get into that later. Yeah, I second the Ewan McGregor one for sure. I think despite the fact that I wanted much more from that character in his own show, kind of like the same issue I had with Boba Fett. Um, I still thought the performance was great, so I definitely recognize that, and we'll talk way more about that later. Um, I, I have to give a negative to the casting director, or whoever brought Kamel Nanjiani on board this, because he's one of the funniest, like charismatic guys working today, and I thought his character was dog shit uh every time he was on screen i just was so shocked like i was like how is this character still here um o'shea jackson jr i want to see him in everything i like that guy and then my positive it, it's interesting it, it's i guess it's a positive that comes with some caveats uh you guys hinted at it earlier maybe not working for you do i know why hayden christensen had to be in this not really i mean they really just could have put him in a couple like hallucinations or like still have the same flashback and then maybe if you want to put him in the suit whenever the mask gets broken at the end i mean that's all you really needed him for but since we do know he was in the suit i do think he does deserve praise because even though let's be honest in some scenes it's a little goofy because vader is clearly much shorter than how we've seen him in the past uh but i think that's easy to look past i do think the way he moves the way he kind of acts without having to use his own voice was pretty admirable i mean it did feel like a pretty badass Vader to me. So I think I have to credit him for that. And then when we did get to see him flashbacks and at the end, I was like, yeah, he's good. You know, I kind of got the feelings how he did in 
episode three, whenever I was like, oh, wow, he's way better in this than he was in Attack of the Clones. This was kind of the same thing. I thought, you know, he wasn't on screen a whole lot, but I did like getting to see him to the point where I wish we could have gotten more. And I hope we do get to see somehow more of Hayden Christensen back as Anakin in the future. I don't know what that would look like because presumably they wouldn't go back in the past. uh, But I do hope we somehow get more of him. I think it's cool for both Christensen and McGregor that they got to come back for this, especially since their original trilogy wasn't that well received. It was just comical to me every time Vader appeared on screen. I was like, Hayden Christensen is getting paid for this. Like, it's not yeah. his voice. It's not like he's not really. He's just walking around. I was like, man, how do I get that job? <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was like really necessary to be in the suit. I think they could have just had a normal James Earl Jones do the voice and had a stunt double in the suit. But then once we get our our fight in the in the finale. I think it was really cool that he was behind the, the helmet there. Yeah, that's a good point, knowing that he's doing the choreography. And a lot more meaningful. Um, and then the back to tank. Yeah. And again, it's not really necessary for him to be in the back to tank. I mean, it doesn't even look like him. It's yeah. just a, a guy with messed no. up skin and shit floating in water. So, <laughs> Well, you've heard our thoughts on Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's kind of uh, all over the place. We're all at different points, which is exciting. But what does everyone else think? So the first season... I guess I don't even know if I should call this the first season. I'll just say Obi-Wan Kenobi currently holds an approval rating of 83% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average rating of 6.6 out of 10. The website's critical consensus reads, this won't be the Obi-Wan Kenobi some viewers are looking for, but Ewan McGregor's sulfur performance and some refreshing twists makes this a satisfying, if circuitous addition to the Star Wars saga. Uh, Fun fact, I looked up what circuitous means. I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's an incredible definition that basically means taking a path that is longer than the desired. <laughs> you are saying it wrong. It's circuitous, and you think of it as a circle. Circuitous. Because a straight line is the fastest path, but a circle is a but longer route. But you just route. go somewhere else. Yeah, you take a longer way, even if there is a faster path, which I think is very appropriate for this show. So with that out of the way, guys, I'm pretty excited. It is time to get into more detail So let's go ahead and do our freeform discussion. This is where we all just bring in some random points, random opinions, things that we think deserve more time and the bulk of our conversation. So let's start how we always do with general thoughts. Are there any standout points about this show that we haven't already mentioned that you think we should start this conversation with? This is a question for both of you, but I think it's more geared towards uh, Austin. So the past two spinoff shows of Star Wars... Austin's biggest complaint is that we're always on Tatooine. Well, we do have Tatooine in the show, obviously, but we have also have a lot of other planets. Austin, were you excited for these other planets? I was excited, but we still have Tatooine for two out of the six episodes, which is 33% of the show, and that's 33 percentage points too much for me and my taste. Uh, I still think it's so annoying we have to open every Star Wars project on Tatooine or a desert-like planet like Jakku. Um, But the other planets we got, I thought were cool. And it was really cool to see Alderaan since that got blown up in A New Hope. So I think the actual galaxy spanningness of the show was actually a positive for me. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's hard to say. I feel like every new planet we got, really, we just kind of spent one episode on like Dayu as episode two, which was kind of cool. I was like, oh, this is an interesting looking planet. Would have liked to get a little bit more, maybe. Uh, Maybe we'll go back there in the future. And then I guess Jabim, I think, is the name of the one that the path is located on. Didn't really get to see too much of that, just their kind of fortress. But yeah, I'm with Austin. I really like seeing Alderaan. Loved getting to get a quick glimpse of Coruscant in the flashback. I I talked about it in our old Star Wars movie reviews. I just wish we could have gotten more Coruscant. I know like the Jedi Temple fell and all that, but there's still 
you know, a huge city there. Maybe it's empire controlled. I don't know. I think it would still be cool to go back. So I loved getting to see that again. Um, so I, I really liked a lot of these, but I am, you know, based on the fact that this was an Obi-Wan Kenobi show, I was prepared mentally going in that this would be a lot of Tatooine. So it didn't bother me as much, but I am still with you guys that we have to tell stories that just move beyond that. It's time. Um, I definitely did not expect this show to feel like, in both good and bad ways, The Mandalorian, because that's the show we always talk about where it's kind of episodic in a sense. It's just like one episode's here, then you know the next episode is going to go to some other new planet or some other location. So I was not expecting Obi-Wan Kenobi of all shows to kind of have that feel as well. In some ways, like you said, Austin, for like, you know, just change of pace and new scenery, it was good. But then I think, again, I've, I've already like... I feel like I've said it ad nauseum, but just for the sense of like story pacing at times, it was a little goofy. So, yeah, it seems like they took a lot of inspiration from the Mandalorian in that sense. Were you excited to go to the Inquisitor's base from Jedi Fallen Order? I was. Um, yeah, I don't know if you know that, Keith. There, there is kind of some weird continuity of things that you might find funny. Does that mean two Jedis have been to this place and destroyed yes. it? <laughs> so in the recent video game Jedi Fallen Order, I won't spoil, you know, that other people but it's at one point in the game you the main character and this takes place before the events of obi-wan kenobi very similarly to how obi-wan does it you have to break into the fortress inquisitorious uh, <laughs> and you literally swim in through a pipe so just the idea that a few years later in the world of star wars another jedi did that <laughs> is kind of funny to me uh I, I was hoping for more of that. I, we'll get more into it later, I'm sure. But that was episode four, the one that I thought was absolutely terrible, the one where they just kidnapped Leia again and Obi-Wan. We didn't even get to find out what his thoughts on the whole Vader situation where he's like, I have to go save her. I'm going to go swim through this pipe. Really bad. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> those are my general thoughts on the positive and negatives of showing us all these locations, I guess. So in the in the sense of keeping things broad for now, um, when Obi-Wan Kenobi was originally announced back in 2019, what were your expectations for the story we could possibly get in the show? Yeah, I think my expectations were not too far from what we got. You know, I knew we were going to get Obi-Wan on Tatooine watching over Luke. I didn't know if there's going to be I wasn't expecting any interaction with Luke at all. But we mentioned earlier Coruscant. I was expecting to for Obi-Wan to go back to Coruscant at some point and maybe do some like Intel or something like that. I don't know what he was going to do. Just some investigating. The only reason I was expecting that was, I think I read a book like when I was like 10 or 11, where Obi-Wan goes back to Coruscant and sees that fat alien Dex, and they, they go on some mission on Coruscant. And, they, and it sounded pretty cool. So I was expecting something like that to happen, which we did not get. Uh, was not expecting all the Leia stuff <laughs> at all. I didn't know Leia and Obi-Wan met. So yeah, my expectations were... I wouldn't say not met, but just, yeah, subverted. That's the best word to, to use. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I, whenever they announced the show, I was ecstatic. I was so excited. Uh, but that being said, I never knew what the story would be or could be because I was like, oh, I guess I just assumed that Obi-Wan was on Tatooine the whole time watching over Luke. And I was like, I imagine this show can't be that unless they have Vader, which would be weird, or like a bunch of villains, maybe the Inquisitors, come to Tatooine trying to find Luke and then the show is about Obi-Wan stopping them. But I was like, that doesn't seem grand enough. So yeah, what could they do? Uh, I like Keith's idea. The idea of him having to go back to Coruscant could have been cool. The idea of him, I guess, somehow 
reuniting with other Jedi could have been cool. This show hinted at that in the first episode whenever uh, a young a – like a youngling at the time of Order 66 finds him and Obi-Wan turns him down like he's not going to help him. I was like maybe the story will revolve around him you know, reuniting with other Jedi and them having to do something or something. I don't know. I would say honestly just like on paper, a lot of what – not I wanted but just I'm glad with a lot of what we got. It's just the way it was implemented wasn't always great. Like for example, the idea of Obi-Wan meeting this path and clearly the implications will become through some of his own influence, which is kind of cool to think about. The rebellion is going to be formed. So the idea that Obi-Wan kind of inadvertently because he was kind of like a symbol of hope for these people – I think the rebellion is going to be founded on that with characters like Roken, Bail Organa, eventually Mon Mothma, probably Cassian Andor uh, being the heads of that. And that's really cool. For some reason, it's, it's funny to me, like you said, Keith, I never expected Leia would even factor into this. I don't know why. It makes perfect sense. It's like, what would be the one thing that can pull uh, Obi-Wan away from Luke? Well, Leia's in trouble. It's like, oh, OK, I guess that kind of makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff sounds cool. I like that we got more Bail Organa scenes. I always love seeing Jimmy Smith's. It's just, yeah, it, it was always a tough pill because it's like, what is the show going to be? Because we all thought he was just on Tatooine. So I guess they have to find an interesting story that makes sense why he would leave. And they did that. It's just, like I said, the pacing of it, like the, the multiple kidnappings and having to go save people did get a little bit annoying. But I think just, you know, for the purposes of Austin's question, the thing that I was most happy with was kind of the rebellion angle we actually i think got to see some cool reasons why the rebellion would be born at this point and kind of be in full force a few years later at the time of a new hope i think what i was hoping for is more so is a show that was more so focused on the empire invader especially right after order 66 like what it was like for them conquering the galaxy and getting to the point where they are in a new hope i was hoping that we would be more focused on that and then obi-wan who is a little bit more broken after order 66 and the betrayal of anakin he then finds inspiration through the rebellion and and gets more involved that way. That, that's why that's what I thought we were going to get. Um, I, I really was not expecting Luke or Leia's involvement at all, since they were going to be so young during this time and really wouldn't have had an impact on the Star Wars saga. Let's get into like the brink of it here with Obi Wan on Tatooine, working at like a meat marketplace, um, going back to his cave every night. It's like a kind of kind of a funny but depressing montage. Did that work for you guys or were you all hoping that we would just jump right in with Obi-Wan like in some sort of like not battle, but maybe like a skirmish of some sort and and we're getting action right off the bat? I guess this made more sense. Uh, the idea of him, you know, still fighting in whatever sense that would be or using a lightsaber, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he has to be kind of undercover with, you know, Order 66 and being like a wanted fugitive and all that. So, yeah, I like the idea of kind of slowly introducing us to what he's got going on. Uh, there were some cool surprises. I guess, you know, at the end of episode three, whenever Yoda talked about Qui-Gon, I just assumed that this entire time, like this entire 10 years, Obi-Wan had been able to communicate with Qui-Gon. But they do set up in a very, I think, strong way that because of Order 66, because of Anakin's fall, uh, Obi-Wan is not really one with the Force right now. So he's kind of just depressed and sad and his sole mission is just watching over Luke. So the idea that he hasn't been able to communicate with Qui-Gon at all is pretty sad. And watching him kind of call out to his old master was, I thought, a good setup to like show where he's at mentally in this show. Um, so yeah, I actually did kind of like that initial setup. I guess it makes sense in the context of Order 66, but I just thought this was such a boring existence for Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is like, 
one of the stronger Jedi's. I, I thought he would be it just seems like he gave up too easily in, in my mind. I thought he'd be a little bit more involved with the resistance, especially with how much he believes in the Jedi Order and the light side of the force. Yeah, it would have been cool for him to have maybe like more of a network of maybe not Jedi's, but at least like y'all said, rebels, I guess spread out all throughout Tatooine, like Maz Eisley and Maz Espa, like that maybe he had correspondence with and they were all like on the same page. We are 10 years later. 10 years is a pretty long time. So you would think that he would have kind of coped by then um, since Order 66, but maybe not. I could be wrong. Yeah, for me, it made sense, actually. I think I, I like the idea because even though it has been 10 years, I mean, his living situation, you know, is just by himself in a cave. So I can understand why the depression might linger. I do hear your guys' points completely about, well, wouldn't it have been cool if like he had somehow maybe not been fighting these battles? Because I don't think that would have made any sense trying to be undercover. But sure, like these ideas, maybe he has like these rebel uh, informants or he has like a little network that allows him to get information and allows him to maybe get information out to like friends like Bale or something. The trade-off of that is that the rebels don't exist uh, at this point, and we could argue that maybe they should have, but then maybe if they just established, oh, here's the rebels, we would have been like, oh, where'd they come from? So I, I can understand the push and pull of that. Um, it kind of just seems like at this point in time, 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, there are people like Bail Organa, there are people like Tala and Roka and Roken who want to do the right thing. They want to oppose the Empire, but they just don't really have the resources yet. And it's still kind of a dark time where it's like, it's still kind of soon after the empire was founded. I think they kind of, they don't have that courage yet. They're kind of scared about what, the, what could happen if they, you know, fully and were out and proud about like, you know, resisting the empire. So I kind of get it. Uh, so by nature of that setup, I guess it makes sense how Obi-Wan's kind of a loner right now. But I mean, all that said, even though it worked for me, I can't, you know, disagree with what you're saying, Austin. That that doesn't mean that like the beginning of this show is super exciting. In fact, it's kind of slow because of that. It's just him working, going home, watching over Luke, running into Owen, getting yelled at, and then the Inquisitors show up. So yeah, it's kind of a slow start, which I think is ultimately why I wasn't hooked on the show right away and didn't love the episode because I was just like, oh, it just didn't get its hooks in me yet. It, it, it's kind of a slow start. It seems like he's a terrible employee if it's been 10 years and he's still an entry-level meat cutter. I don't know what the upward mobility is at this company, but he's definitely not putting in 100% effort. That would have been funny if he was just, he was the manager of it. He had like a name tag. Like just Ben. Yeah, like an apron. <laughs> ben. Ben's Meats. Ben's Meats. I love Ben's Meats. So let's get into the Leia side of the story. Um, I guess it was cool that we got to see a young Leia since we, we did see a young Luke in the intro. But did you guys think she overstayed her welcome? Were you surprised that the entirety of the show was really just another Leia kidnapping? Yeah, I did not like that. I, I, I like the fact that she was kidnapped at the beginning because it, it did give Obi-Wan the reason to leave Tatooine. That should have been it. I think she should have been returned to Alderaan either that second episode or the third episode. After a while, I started taking away from the continuity of, of New Hope whenever we see Leia come in and she's like, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you served my father or with my father in the Clone Wars. That's the only line that is weird. There is stuff that works about it. I mean, something that we never thought about as kids, but the idea of her calling him Obi-Wan Kenobi in that message is weird. She would have called him Ben Kenobi. So it makes sense that they had met briefly before. And you also have to keep in mind at that point, it's like, what, another nine years have gone by since the events of Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
So it, it's like it would be pretty awkward <laughs> to send a message to like that one guy that saved me nine years ago that since I was 10, I, I kind of don't remember it super well. So it, there is kind of some kind of like you can kind of excuse it. But you're right, Keith. It, going back and watching the beginning of New Hope and just saying, hi, Obi-Wan, you served my father, Bail Organa, in the Clone Wars. It's like, yeah, we know. Like <laughs> We're watching this show. That doesn't make sense anymore. So there is some funny stuff there for sure. As for me, I'm totally with you guys. I, I loved Vivian Lyra Blair. I thought she was great as Leia. And like I said, it was a super fun just like in episode one, the thing that probably excited me most, more so than any of the Obi-Wan stuff, was like, holy shit, wait, is this Alderaan? And then like seeing the Leia introduction, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is really cool. She felt like a perfect combination of like young, what you would assume like young Carrie Fisher as Leia would be. And she had like the hints of uh, Natalie Portman as Padme in there too. So really liked that. When she got captured, I was like, okay, cannot wait to watch episode two. This makes total sense. Obi-Wan is going to have to go after. And I'm with you. I think after they get away in episode two and that episode three starts and it's like they're getting her out of there, it's like, okay, this is perfect pacing. Because now at the end of this, she's going to get back to Alderaan. And now the rest of the show is focused on Obi-Wan versus Vader. I was like, perfect sense. There we go. And then, I mean, the biggest like fail of the show, like I've already kind of hinted at, is like the ending of episode three happens. There's this great moment where it's like Obi-Wan has to go fight Vader. And he's like, Dala, promise me you'll get Leia back to Alderaan. Promise me. And she's like, I promise. And it's like, okay, this is this makes even more sense in the context of A New Hope because he didn't even get her back to Alderaan. It's just this one guy that got her part of the way. And then it's like, it's kind of as the whole, like, you're my only hope or whatever. And then watching her get kidnapped again, I was like, oh no, she's going to be here for the rest of the show, isn't she? <laughs> and they couldn't even think of a good reason to keep her around. I mean, the perfect way they could have done this show, I felt like, is she should have gotten back to Alderaan in that episode. She had to do the wires. Oh my God. That took her a long time and there was not that many wires. Rokin's um, <laughs> a shitty mechanic. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And the, the sad thing is they still could have done the ending thing in episode six. Like they could have had her exit in episode three and then Obi-Wan still could have come to Alderaan at the end. Because he had, at that point, he had already told her about her mother. So he could have then just come back to Alderaan and said hi and then gave that great line where he says, you know, what gifts that she has from her mother and father or whatever. So, yeah, I just don't know why she had to be such a big thing. Episodes four through six, because at that point, it just seemed like they were kind of repeating a lot of the lines to each other. You know, it kind of felt like they had reached the peak of their relationship. I, I pretty much agree with everything you guys have said. I think she's in here way too long. I think it would have been cool if, if like, kind of like you said, Matt, she gets returned early on in the show. But as a result of Obi-Wan having to leave Tatooine, he sees what the Empire is doing to the galaxy. And then that kind of causes him to get more involved with creating the resistance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they really only needed her to bring him out for Reva to start tracking Obi-Wan. And that should have been the end of it. Let's go into Reva and talk about her. Um, so what did you guys think of her intro? And then we'll, we'll dive more into her character as we go along. I think it's a cool idea that a Padawan who survived Order 66 was then taken by the Empire and turned into this Inquisitor and still kind of has that that memory of, of what it was like as a Padawan. I thought that was cool. And, and the fact that she was like hungry for power and trying to move up and become the Grand Inquisitor. I think Reva is one of the better parts of the show, honestly. Yeah, Reva is, is a, a really interesting one. Um, certainly getting a lot of, I think, unnecessary hate from people out there. A lot of racists always come after new Star Wars characters. It's like, God, I hate this fan base so much. <laughs> but um, yeah, I liked Reva too. Um, my issue with the character is what comes later, which is just that there's a little bit of, I think they waited too long 
to reveal her ultimate plan, essentially. Because I love the idea of this youngling. And first of all, we didn't talk about that. I love the opening scene of the show, which is the Order 66 flashback. That was pretty intense. And then later we find out, of course, Reva was one of the younglings. And then the entire show, you're like, okay, I get it. She's the one that tells Obi-Wan about Anakin still being alive. So... But why is she an Inquisitor? Obviously, that must have been traumatic. Like, did she just have no choice? Was she dragged into this and then, like, somehow seduced to the dark side? Like, it just seems like a stretch why she would be here. And then isn't until, like, the ending of Episode 5 where Obi-Wan and her have that conversation and it's revealed, like, oh, no, you're rising through the ranks so that you can eventually, like, meet Vader in person, essentially, and then get your revenge and kill him. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. I wish they had gotten to that a little bit sooner. Which I think left the finale stuff to be a little bit lacking. I did really like the ending to her character whenever she chooses not to take this illogical revenge on Vader by killing his son because he killed younglings and and all that thing. Like she's like she regrets it. She puts it down and then Obi-Wan gives her peace and then she kind of gets to go create her new life. I really liked Reva. I thought Moses Ingram did a really great job. It was just the only thing I was like, eh, was I didn't love that it it took, I think, too long to get to that reveal that she's actually trying to kill vader i do think her redemption at the end is a little bit unearned because in the first half of the show i get the sense she's done this all the time it seems like her inquisitor and and the forces she has under control have just teared through villages killing force sensitive children like we hear other characters tell those stories so for me it it didn't really make sense that she wasn't willing to kill luke because i get the sense she's been doing this for 10 years if she wanted to kill vader i mean i feel like she jumped through a lot of hopes to do it. I feel like she probably could have gotten into contact with Vader anyway without having to bring Obi-Wan in to lure him out. Yeah, there's lots of confusion with a lot of characters. Like, a lot of different villain characters try and, like, lure Obi-Wan out. And then once they do, it's like, wait, why'd you do that? (laughs) And then the answer (laughs) usually becomes, like, oh, we we needed to do it because of Vader. It's like, oh, okay. And then there's even, like, weirdness with Vader. Like, my favorite scene in the show is uh, Vader's about to kill Reva because she didn't capture Obi-Wan. And then he puts her down because she's like, my lord, I put a tracker on their ship. And he's like, there's more to you than meets the eye, third sister. And then it's like, wait, you're telling me that Vader didn't put a tracker on Obi-Wan's ship last episode? <laughs> Why? What? Why is he mad at everybody? He's an idiot. <laughs> I think the show kind of made him seem like a bumbling idiot who just comes out of his tank every time he hears the name Obi-Wan. I was hoping this show would give us kind of more of the Vader we saw in Rogue One who's like a horror story when he comes in and just is overpowered and destroys everything and then the whole galaxy is scared of him. I was hoping we would get to see more of what he was up to through the Empire uh, within these 10 years right after he's embraced the dark side and all that. Um, I was really let down by the fact that he only comes out to just say find Obi-Wan and then goes back to sleep in his tank. We do get like we do get some some horror Vader, I guess, on Jabim whenever he's breaking necks and, and killing the villagers. Love that. Yeah. But not as good as the Rogue One though, Austin. Definitely agree there. The Rogue One there will definitely be number one scariest Vader moment of all time. That's true. There was like a different level of scare in this because he's like killing like kids, kind of, or like young people. It's like, oh geez. It's like, so that's a little bit different than him just like, you know, killing those uh, rebels. So yeah, so that that was hard to watch for sure. Yeah, the Vader stuff is weird in the show. Like I said, it's just like, I can totally understand his obsession with Kenobi and wanting to find him after 10 years. But there's just like little things that keep holding it back. Like I said, it's like, so Vader, why did you let him go at the end of episode three? Uh, because like you set that fire, you try and burn him. And then Tala, and like then Vader puts the fire out and he's like, all right, capture him. 
And then Tala like shoots one of them and starts the fire again. We just saw Vader put out the fire with the force and he just watches as Obi-Wan is just like slowly carried away without like tracking them. It's goofy and it sucks because, you know, I heard Deborah Chow, the director, talking about in the lead up to the show that she wanted to explore kind of the complex relationship with Obi-Wan and Vader post episode three, because it's like these characters loved each other. They had a complex relationship. You know, sometimes it was fatherly, sometimes it was brotherly, sometimes they were just best friends. And at, at times Anakin expressed how much he hated him for holding him back and stuff like that. But there was a love there. And she said that this show, she wanted to explore that more and kind of talk about how these characters might be unable to kill each other because of that past. And they just failed at that. Because, I mean, watching this episode three, it's like, so are you implying that Vader misses Obi-Wan and that's why he allows him to live? Like, what, what's his deal? Like, I don't know. And then later it just seems like, oh, no, he just hates him still. So I don't know. He wants to kill him. So Vader is kind of all over the place, which, again, this it seems like Vader should have been such an easy home run in this show. Just make him scary. He hates Obi-Wan. He wants to kill him. But it's not that simple, apparently. <laughs> I totally agree. It should have been so simple because he doesn't need to get redeemed until episode six. So we have so much freedom in this show to make Vader as evil as the creators want him to be because we've already seen his redemption. We don't have to worry about him being sympathetic. We have all that context already. So just seeing what he was up to during this time of the Empire and when they're in total control and he can do whatever he wants. I was so excited for that. And all he wants to do is like hold Obi-Wan over some fire and, and burn him a little bit. It's like the Empire element is just absent. Like We're just seeing in a vacuum what Vader and the Inquisitors are up to. And I actually did like the Inquisitors. I think that's a really cool idea. I like this idea of like these fallen Jedi or people like that have now been like, you know, seduced to the dark side and have come over to be Vader's like generals, essentially. And a lot of them like have the force and lightsabers and cool. So I, I, th I love that idea. But yeah, I, I guess I didn't really think about it, that you guys are right, that really we're just seeing what that team is up to. We don't really know what the Empire is doing in the background. And maybe just a little bit of that would have been kind of cool. Like we see, like, I think on that in the third episode, we see like, you know, stormtroopers walking around. And you get kind of an idea of like, what I guess an occupied planet looks like, but that's kind of it, it seems like. Yeah, I guess you could argue that this does kind of go towards Vader's or Anakin's selfish side. He's always kind of like putting it on that he's the leader of the Empire or one of the leaders of the Empire, but really he, he's just selfish at the end of the day, just like he was with Padme. It's like he's always just focusing on his own personal shit while just kind of pretending to be this leader of the great Empire. But every time like the Imperial officers try to like tell him, Lord Data, we need to go do this on this planet. He's like, no, follow, <laughs> follow, follow Leia or, fo or follow Skywalker. I guess you could argue it, it is kind of characteristic of him. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's just, yeah, we just didn't find out what the Empire was fully up to in the background. But honestly, my bigger complaint is from the Obi-Wan side of it. Like one of the great episodes, of, or sorry, one of the great moments of the show is when Reva tells Obi-Wan that Anakin is still alive and just watching his face as, as that realization kind of flows over him. This idea that he's been depressed for so long in part because of his failure to somehow save Anakin uh, from that fate. And now to find out, oh, he's alive, actually. It's like, oh, shit. I'm, I'm shocked you didn't get to sit with that more. Um, he fights him at the end of episode three briefly. And then, like we said, he ends up getting burned and has to be saved. And then episode four starts and Leia's been kidnapped and he just immediately beelines to the fortress. Like we, there's somehow, shockingly, there is never a moment where we see Obi-Wan like at his lowest. There's never a moment where he talks about his feelings about, wow, Anakin is still alive as Vader. Like we don't know how he feels about that. He just goes to the fortress. 
even Tala's like, are you sure you're strong enough to do this? Like implying like, because we know he doesn't have the force fully. He's not back in power. And then he just goes to the fortress and he somehow is able to, you know, he has his lightsaber skills back and he can use the force and hold back an entire water like from the ocean trying to flow in. So, yeah, just like the the escalation of him getting his powers back and the fact that I never know in the show how he really feels about Anakin being alive is kind of shocking. So we've already talked about the path a little bit. Uh, we should probably talk about it some more because besides Leia, I mean, that really is, I think, the element that takes up most of the show. Uh, really, it gets introduced in episode three and we get it all the way through the ending. Um, yeah, it's kind of this cool element of Tala and there's this network of people that basically work to help people escape from empire controlled areas. And then we do find out that a lot of former Jedi that survived Order 66 have been using this as well. So I think that's kind of a moment that gives Obi-Wan maybe a little bit more hope in this dark situation. He's like, oh, there's, you know, others like me and even some old friends that I had and they were able to escape to safety. That's great. Um, and like I, I said earlier, based on where this storyline goes, it does seem like this becomes the foundation for what the rebellion might be. We also get introduced to a bunch of side characters here like Roken, Tala. Uh, I forget the name of the droid, but I really like this new droid um, and a lot of them. So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this kind of storyline and characters in general. I thought this was one of the better parts of the show. I especially like that it started out as a way to help like force sensitive people get out because that's who the empire is primarily targeting at this point in in their history. I am concerned that in a few weeks we're going to get a new announcement from Disney Plus that says a new show is coming out called The Path, and I don't know what that's going to look like, but I guarantee we'll get it. It is funny. Uh, my hot little take, my prediction, Austin, is we will not get a Path show, but we do know that later this year we're getting Andor which I could not have been less excited about. Uh, they announced it was it's going to be two seasons, 12 episodes each, so 24 episodes total. I think th- I'm now excited for that show because I think the path will see the evolution of that in that show. Because so I think that's going to be about like the, rebe- like the rebellion in full force, like Mon Mothma's back and or you could have Roken pop in there, explain how the path kind of became the rebels, uh, Organa as well. So that's my take. I think that's what they're setting up. But you are probably right. I think I'm probably being too optimistic. We will get four seasons of a path show uh, <laughs> starting this year. <laughs> Produced and created by John Favreau. Mm. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of the side characters we got from the path, I thought Tala was the best one. Uh, really cool to see like someone who actually believed in the Empire's ideals and then realized she'd kind of been brainwashed and was now trying to reconcile with that and make up for all the deeds she had done with the empire this is actually a new character for star wars that we haven't gotten in the past someone who chose to join up um with the empire and and i thought that was pretty interesting yeah i really like tala um and i was really sad when she died that's probably one of the most sad one of the more sad parts of the show star wars does have a thermal detonator problem though because I don't think anybody can figure out how powerful these things are. In this show, it can blow up an entire bunker. In the in the Battlefront games, it hardly does anything. Someone needs to come out and concretely say, what can a thermal detonator do? John Favreau, help us. I laughed out loud when she did uh, detonate the, the thermal detonator. And Reva was like right there next to her. She's like, and Reva's like, run! It's <laughs> 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 like, how did Reva not die from that? <laughs> I don't know. Also, also seems like in that moment, Obi-Wan could have used the force and flicked the thermal detonator away so from Tala. He was fighting like one stormtrooper and they framed it like that fight was so hard that it was like keeping him <laughs> away from like getting Tala out of there. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> 
So as always, you know, the show's completely done, so we should, of course, spend a little bit of time on the finale, just kind of figuring out where things left off, how we feel about them. So in general, we're going to talk about the final fight, Reva's story, as they are kind of the dual storylines throughout this, but tell me what you guys think. Because like I said, I was pretty up and down on this show, but this finale actually worked well enough for me that I came away from the show feeling a bit more positive overall. What did you guys think? I was a little underwhelmed by the final fight. Uh, I didn't think it was as cool as in the prior episode when, when Vader defeated Reva using only the Force. I was hoping this final fight would again kind of feel like Revenge of the Sith with how quick it was and how fast they were moving because they've, they've trained together so many times. They kind of know each other's tactics and how they fight. Honestly, the final fight for me felt pretty slow and I wasn't really impressed by Obi-Wan throwing rocks at Vader. See, I like the final fight. I, I, and I like the fact that he's throwing rocks at Vader because it kind of showed that Obi-Wan's like full power was back. Um, and I... And y'all said it earlier, we didn't have the uh, the Duel of the Fates soundtrack in there, which I definitely agree that that should have been in there. That would have been really cool. Is there a reason they couldn't do it? It was like a copyright. Like, how is that not there? It was the only song they played in every trailer for this, but then it's not in the show. <laughs> there was lots of weird things in the soundtrack throughout this whole season. Um, you know, the fact that they, did, they didn't play the Imperial March until this episode. They should have played it when Vader was walking down the street killing those people. Sounds like we should be the showrunners, honestly. Oh, we have way better okay. ideas than the guy that wrote Army of the Dead. What were they thinking? I did I did <laughs> see, I think I did read something where John Williams said he wanted Obi-Wan, the Obi-Wan show to have its own soundtrack and that he would throw some iconic Star Wars songs in there here and there. But he didn't want it to be a full-on Star Wars soundtrack. Well, he didn't have that issue with the other 18 Star Wars movies we've seen. Yeah, He's fine John. repeating stuff there. Yeah, but the, I, I enjoyed the final fight. Um, I, d I didn't like how easily Darth Vader did kind of crumble there at the end. I feel like he should have been a little bit stronger. Was the fight as grand or well choreographed as something like episode one's final fight? No, I was hoping for a little bit more, but I still thought it worked overall because of not like the badass factor, but more of like the emotional weight behind it. I thought actually hit relatively well. It's also cool because I, I would venture to say... I mean, yeah, of course, at the end of Return of the Jedi, when Vader does get force lightninged and like throws Palpatine off a thing, he, that, that does fuck him up. But in the, in the context of like an actual battle in any of the movies or shows, we've never seen Vader get his ass kicked. We've seen maybe like, oh, he, like, he missed that hit and got hit a little bit, but he's never like gotten destroyed. <laughs> and Obi-Wan at the end of this fight, like hands him his ass. And that was kind of cool. Um I would have liked a little bit more from it, but I, I do want to get into that final moment whenever he uh, opens up the helmet, because I actually, you can never beat the iconic Luke, like I am your father or whatever uh, from Empire, but this might be up there as like one of my favorite Star Wars moments. Uh, seeing the helmet open up, seeing Obi-Wan see Anakin's face for the first time, and then apologize to him for everything. And then there's this amazing moment where Anakin, first of all, just like the fact that the, the voice was distorted, was so cool. Hearing James Earl Jones' voice and Hayden Christensen at the same time was really neat. You talked about it, Keith, like sometimes with Vader, like a little bit of humanity kind of sparks through, whether it be like that selfishness or just whatever. But I loved his line where he's like, I am not your failure, Obi-Wan. Like you did not kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. Uh, like, I will destroy you. So, like, 
part of it's menacing. He's like, I did. Now I will kill you or whatever. But I, I think in a way, it's almost like he's kind of telling Obi-Wan, it's not your fault that I did this. It was my choice. and I made it, whether it was right or wrong. Like, you did not kill Anakin Skywalker. Um, and I, it, it kind of hel- it kind of helps track to how Obi-Wan is kind of able to forgive himself. And you see where he ends up in A New Hope because he's not still the depressed, sad guy living alone in a cave. And it, it's interesting that it's almost like Anakin is the one that gave him that forgiveness. And that was kind of surprising. I really liked that moment. I did too. Yeah. Because uh, he says it to Reeve at the end, like, I'm, like we're, we're both free now. I guess it still doesn't track with Vader's hatred for Obi-Wan if he's willing to let him off the hook in this moment. I thought their conversation was fine. It still, once again, didn't feel like anything new to me in Star Wars. I feel like we've seen this conversation a million times, like between Vader and whether it's Vader and Luke or, or Vader and Obi-Wan and the New Hope, yeah. um, or even at the end of Revenge of the Sith. I, it's it's not necessarily the show's fault because of the continuity of, of where it's set within the Star Wars timeline. Like they have to adhere to certain things. Um, I just, for me, nothing like new happened in this final wrap up between Vader and Obi-Wan. And I totally agree with you there. I mean, the thing that worked for me is like seeing like Obi-Wan's blue lightsaber flash over Anakin's face. And it's like, oh, the light side. And when that happens, that's when he says like, it wasn't your fault. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. But then the red flashes over and he's like, I will destroy you. It's like the humanity just popped out for a second. And then the dark side flashed over again. But to your point, Austin, the thing that doesn't work is then literally the moment after he just goes, goodbye, Darth. And walks away like you literally said that my friend is truly dead if he should have killed him right there, (laughs) but he can't because (laughs) Vader has to come back. There is just no reason why Obi-Wan should like he should have finished him off because he's like, then you're not my friend anymore. And then, you know, cuts his head off or stabs him or whatever. Mm. Um, And how does he not remember from Revenge of the Sith when he let Anakin, he walked away from Anakin without making sure he was dead and then he became Darth Vader. (laughs) Right. You should not and do that again. <laughs> yeah, and that's just the problem with the concept of the show. It's just maybe they just shouldn't have had Obi-Wan and Vader meet in like in between their fight at Mustafar and then meeting on the Death Star in A New Hope. Because they threw in another fight there, neither of them can win, so they just have to part ways and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I was hoping when Vader throws Obi-Wan down the hole and he's standing over him, I thought he was going to say, I have the high ground now. I did too. And he it didn't. felt like it was going to happen. <laughs> felt like that was coming. I was surprised Reva made it out of the show just because I don't know where her character goes or I mean, clearly she dies or does or something happens to her before the events of A New Hope because we've never seen this character again. So I, I want to know where her future is. Let's just touch on it real quick. The fact that the Inquisitors, both her and the other guy, can survive lightsabers through the chest. Yeah, that's a fun. That's a fair point. Uh, Rahul Kohli uh, from Midnight Mass uh, had an incredible tweet about that it was a picture of darth maul stabbing qui-gon through the chest and he's like oh shit maybe we should have checked to see if he was alive before we fucking cremated him because <laughs> yeah you're right apparently like the grand inquisitor says i like his voice by the way rupert friend it's amazing what re- the will of revenge can do for <laughs> the will to live <laughs> or whatever he said just like okay so i guess if you're angry you can survive a fucking saber to the gut <laughs> Well, I mean, speaking of that, uh, we got to get to that final shot with Qui-Gon. First of all, I have to revert back to you, Keith. Um, did you? Because I liked it. Did you feel like it was too kind of uh, loose with the continuity to have Obi-Wan and Luke have a moment where they actually met? 
because I thought it was fine. No, I, th- I think it Did actually. That bother you? I think it actually works with the continuity. Um, if you go into a New Hope, because Luke does, and the New Hope, Luke does know who Ben Kenobi is. He's like, oh, that's old Ben Kenobi. So it does make sense they have like loosely met. They don't know each other well. So yeah, that that did work for me. But y'all y'all want to get into the Quagon? Let's talk about it real quick. I mean, we have to. He's back. Liam Neeson's back. You know, I think going into the show, that was definitely an expectation of mine. Was thinking like, oh, like I think Liam Neeson's gonna come back at some point and and start talking to Obi Wan as Quagon. We didn't get it throughout the whole season, but we got it there at the very end. I got goosebumps when he came on. I thought it was, thought it was pretty cool, even though it was very quick. So, what did you guys think? Yeah, it's interesting, yeah, because like I said, I never ex- anticipated going into the show. I just assumed that for the last 10 years, Obi-Wan has been able to communicate with Qui-Gon on Tatooine, but I liked how they talked about like just where he's at mentally. He's not one with the Force anymore, um, so it, I guess it makes sense that he wouldn't be able to see Qui-Gon. And so, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I thought it would make more sense if they had introduced him, like I don't know, at his lowest point, like after he finds out Anakin's alive or something, or... Right before he fights Vader is where I thought it was going to happen in the final fight. So I was like, oh, okay, that seems like that's where it should have been. But I have to say, uh, I actually ended up liking the way they did it, making it the final scene, because it's kind of showing that Obi-Wan has found some sort of inner peace, and he is kind of one with the Force once again. He is back to who he was in some semblance. So now he would be able to see his master. And quite I don't even comments on that. You know, I was always here. You just weren't ready to see so now it's kind of cool. It's like, oh, okay. So like for the next nine years, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are just going to be kind of like full on training. And the reason why he's kind of the Ben Kenobi we see in episode four is probably because of Qui-Gon's and his, you know, renewed relationship. Basically, they've been able to communicate. So I was like, okay, yeah, that works well enough for me. So it was, it was a nice little send off for the show. So before we close out, I, I was curious. We've had, I think, a few lackluster showings, in my opinion, for some Star Wars series. Boba Fett now Obi-Wan, and especially with how the new trilogy played out, we have all this other stuff in the works for Star Wars. It's not going away anytime soon, but how are you guys feeling overall about the Star Wars franchise? Do you need a break? Are you excited for the future projects? Should Star Wars take a little nap and maybe just wait for Taika's project to come out? What are you thinking? Um, no, I don't think we need a break. I mean, it seems like they're they're just kind of booting this stuff up with Mando, Boba, and now Obi-Wan. Um, I am curious to see what kind of shows they do come out with. I don't. I just don't want them to take every side character we see and say they need a show now. They need a show now. Make it interesting. That's all I'm hoping for. I think overall, for me, Marvel's been a little bit more successful with the shows that they're doing as opposed to Star Wars. Like I said, I really liked Mando season two, but that first season and Boba Fett and now this have ranged from just kind of a little bit disappointing to kind of bad. Um, and yeah, the animated stuff I hear is really good. So. I don't know. I guess they just haven't found their groove yet on the Star Wars side, like what cadence they want to do. As for should they take a break? I don't know. I think I'm probably closer to Keith. I think if they maybe just limited their output a little bit and tried to focus on creating like less content but more quality, that's what I'm down for. And I guess, I mean, one positive of the show, like I said, is I had no interest in the Andor show. Um, I'm not the biggest Rogue One fan, and I just, you know, I was like, whatever. I mean, I, maybe that'll be cool. But after this show and kind of the inclusion of the path and like the seeds of the rebellion, now I feel like that's definitely what that show is going to be largely about. And so now I'm actually kind of excited for that show. So that's something I'll definitely be checking out. Um, as for any other stuff they have in the future, like another seasons of Mando, Ahsoka could be cool. So there's still some projects I'm interested in. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We could get to a point where they just keep rolling them out, like Keith said, and we end up with, like, four or five a year, like Marvel, and we're probably going to get some duds in there, uh, 
Hopefully not, but I don't know. They they have to figure out a cadence eventually. I wonder if there's room for Obi-Wan to make a cameo in the Andor show. I think so. And I I hope to see it. I mean, they kind of set up at the end of this show that Obi-Wan will not be like watching over Luke anymore. He's still going to be on Tatooine, but he's going to be focusing on training with Qui-Gon. He now trusts fully Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. They can take care of Luke. They just need to raise him as like a boy, not a future Jedi, which I, I really liked. So that leaves room. Obi-Wan could, you know, he could leave Tatooine more often if, if the need arises, if he needs to meet with Bail Organa or there's something about the rebellion. Maybe he does pop into the Andor show. That could be pretty cool. I think Ewan McGregor has stated that he would want to do more Obi-Wan stories or he'd be willing to pop up another thing. So maybe that's kind of a, a big possibility. Well, there you go, guys. Obi-Wan Kenobi, the show 17 years in the making. That is our thoughts. But before we officially close out, we, of course, have to do the Arnie's Podcast Awards, the part of our show where we just pick something, can be positive, can be negative, something anywhere in between. It just has to be something that we think deserves an award. So, Austin or Keith, what you thinking? Yeah, I'm going to give the Merciful Reva Award uh, to Reva herself. I don't understand how Camille Nanjani's character, uh, Haja, made it out of their first interaction. Seems like he should have been killed instantly. I'm going to give the worst transportation award to the planet of Tatooine. For some reason, Obi-Wan has to take big-ass camel everywhere across the desert, which should take like hours to get anywhere. When they have, when you think they would have plenty of speeders or speed bikes or anything like that, it doesn't make sense. Why are you riding a camel when you can ride a speed bike? Mine is, of course, going to be for best new droid. Lots of droids in Star Wars. Uh, this one gave us two. One whose name I can't remember and should have looked up that died <laughs> protecting Tala. <laughs> really liked him. But, of course, nobody's going to beat Lola. I like this little bastard. Uh, just flying around, making fun noises, being helpful. More helpful than Roken, who could never fix anything, apparently. They should have just let Lola do it all. But where is Lola in A New Hope? Why does Star oh, Wars no. mess with my timeline? <laughs> <laughs> They need to stay true to George Lucas's original vision. <laughs> we can't do any new stuff. What if the end credit song was just that Lola song? Lola. La, 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 it should have been. It should have been. Well, we didn't get our precious duel of the fates. My other award is actually biggest missed opportunity in the last 50 years. And it's for not putting duel of the fates in this. Sorry. Uh, but thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or you ever get your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday for the return of Stranger Things Season 4 with Part 2. It's only been a month, but it still feels like it's been too long, if you ask me. Are you guys excited? Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, this might be my most anticipated thing of the year, after how good Season 4 Part 1 was. I'm right there with you, Austin. I am excited as well. I think we had a really good time with Part 1. One of my favorite episodes we've done so far this year uh, was reviewing that one. Well, additionally, if you want to hear our thoughts on another Disney-owned IP, uh, just last week we put out our thoughts on the new animated reboot, Lightyear. Uh, I think we all had a pretty good time with that one. I think we definitely differ from some of the audience opinions that are out there today. So if you want to hear our thoughts on that, be sure to go check that out. And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of Obi-Wan Kenobi? How many more times will Leia get kidnapped before A New Hope? 
anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right, everybody. Let us know your thoughts on Obi-Wan. Have a great rest of your week. We'll be back next time for Stranger Things. <sighs> I wish this show would have been better. George Lucas has really ruined a good part of my life. He's my hero. Stop!